Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy friends, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today I'm going to talk about a subject, about a, a little device that most all bluegrass pickers use. And uh, this subject is... Uh, talk to death. Everybody has their opinions about it. And so this show is going to be my opinions about picks. So all of you bass players and fiddle players, you are excused. You can go hang out in the lobby or you can stick around and and, uh, listen to a little bit of pick talk. Um, So let's, let's get right into this. The, The first point I want to make is I want you to think about the physics of what a pick actually does. That when you when you have a pick and you touch it to a string, let's let's let that be the start of this phase of physics. The string contacts the pick. Then some stuff happens. And then the pick and the string separate. And you hear the sound of the vibrating string and the instrument. And I suppose you could even say, if you could measure carefully, and if you listen carefully, you might even hear the sound of the vibrating pick. But I'll come back to that in a minute. So there's this. That's the the phase of... Let's call it a pick stroke. It has a beginning. It has an ending. The beginning is when the pick contacts the string, and the ending is when the pick leaves the string. Everything beyond that depends upon the vibration of the string and the resonance of the instrument and how the sound wave travels around the environment and ends up at people's ears. I'm not going to talk about that part of it too much. But I want you to think about the fact that the pick is a more or less solid object. Some are more solid than others, or I should say stiffer, more dense. You know, you could make a pick out of stone or a piece of copper. And I've seen some people to do to do that. Uh, I've seen there was a There was um, a pick being made out of, I forget what kind of polished stone it was, and it was like, you know, being sold to jazz, jazz guitar players. Um, Or it could be very, very thin and flexible. You know, you could take up an index card and cut it out kind of in the shape of a pick and make a little bit of racket with your instrument, you know. I don't think it... It would prove itself very durable, and it probably wouldn't sound that good. But a lot of a lot of different materials have been used for picks over the years, and what was used back in 1880 is, is sometimes, if you look at some of the picks, like I've got some old Gibson catalog reprints, and you go back and look at the picks that they were offering in the 1920s, they look a lot different than the picks you find today. Size preference, size preferences has changed. Material preference has changed. 
you know, this is a constant evolving thing as to like, what's the best pick? And a lot of people have that question. They want to know what's the best pick. And we're going to try to get to that, to that point. What is the best pick for you? But let's talk about the physics of what is actually taking place. When two solid objects come in contact with each other, let's say you have a baseball bat in your hand. Let's pretend that's the pick. And then you walk up to an 8-inch diameter uh, pressure-treated fence post. Like, you know, your, your, your barnyard gate is attached to this big, fat, pressure-treated wooden post. And it's sunk in the ground about two feet. All right, you take your baseball bat and you wind up and you swing. And your bat, the pick, hits the string, the fence post. What's going to happen? Well, first of all, obviously, the bat is not going to pass through the fence post. It's going to meet the resistance of the fence post, and it's going to stop, and it's going to wring your hands. And you can't pass one solid object through another unless you're a magician performing some sort of a trick, because even a magician can't really do that. You know, you've, you've seen a, a magician put a ball, you know, put a ball in a solid cup and then put his little handkerchief over it and the, and the ball falls out of the bottom of the cup. And you're like, wow, a solid object passed through another solid object. That must be magic. Well, of course, it's not magic. It's a trick. When you take your pick and you contact the string, pass the pick through the string... It feels like, if you're, if you're playing with a good combination of technique and a good pick, it feels like the pick passes through the string. It just passes right through it. But it's actually impossible. The pick cannot go through the string. So here's what happens. Several things happen when the pick begins to apply force to the string. First thing that happens is, presuming the pick has any flexibility at all, is the pick will bend. The second thing that will happen, presuming the string has some flexibility, which it does, or it would be very difficult to make it vibrate, is that the string begins to bend. So as the, as the pick forces through the string... It happens so quickly, it almost looks like the pick passes through the string, that the two solid ob objects just pass through each other. But that's not what happens. The pick will flex slightly, and the string will flex slightly. Let's talk about the string first. That's the whole point of picking a string, is to get that string to flex you're you're trying to deflect the string away from the pick and then when the pick leaves the scene the string springs back and that starts the vibrating of the string so you want some string deflection that's the job of the pick now an ultra super solid pick that has no flexibility 
like a stone pick or a stainless steel pick. All of the flex is going to have to be done by the string. In other words, the string is going to have to get out of the way of the pick because the pick can't bend. However, if you have a very thin pick, a very go in and buy a fender thin, you know, just your standard teardrop, a thin pick. That pick is going to bend a lot easier. So more of the bending in that case will take place by the pick. And the string will have to deflect out of the way of the pick less. So you, you get it sort of a, there's a, an interactive inverse relationship between these two. If they're sort of balanced, where the pick flexes a little and the string flexes a little, it'll pass through fairly easily. It will appear to pass through. It's not actually passing through. You know, these two solid objects are competing for space in 3D, you know, in this 3D spatial grid. The pick is moving through the same spot where the string is resting. So something's got to give, is what I'm saying. Well, in most cases, I would say a typical pick, like let's say you have a, we'll use something like a Fender Medium, and you're, you're playing a D string on a mandolin or something like that, you're going to find there's a little bit of give on both sides. The pick flexes a little, and the string deflects a little. Okay, so just... I'm going to let you think about this stuff. I'm not going to tell you everything here because uh, I need to keep this podcast fairly short because of my bandwidth limitations this month. Okay. Another thing that occurs with the pick is due to the shape of the pick and the curved nature of the surface with which you contact the pick. Let's say you're using the, uh, the, you know, a sort of a rounded corner of the pick. As you strike the string and it begins to deflect and the pick begins to bend a little bit and you're moving through it, eventually the string is going to pass the highest point of that curve on the pick. And all of a sudden it's going to have a lot more room. And that's, that's sort of the point where the, the string breaks away from the pick. But, but how sharp that curvature of the pick is sort of varies the amount of force. So a pointed pick, everything's going to happen in a much shorter compressed time frame and a rounder surface. Like if you had a circular pick, that process of contact through release is going to take a little longer. And all along that continuum of as the string touches the pick to the time it leaves the pick is spread out a little bit. So what I'm getting at is pick the shape of the pick also affects this entire dynamic relationship between, you know, you know hitting the string. Okay. Another thing that happens with a pick is pivot. And if you were to take a pick and and grasp it in your picking hand and if you just held it you know just tight enough where you don't drop it which is about probably how tight you need to hold it 
And then you strike that against a string and push through the string. Of course, we're not actually going through the string. The string is beginning to deflect. And the pick is bending slightly. But it will also pivot as a whole because of the flexible nature of the flesh of your fingertips. So if you held a very, very rigid pick, let's say a four millimeter thick piece of stainless steel, and you you tried picking a piece of um, quarter inch diameter steel rod held in some clamps, that pick is not going through that string. It could flex. If you have a tight enough grip on it, you might be able to get it to flex a little bit. But what's more likely to happen is the pick will just pivot and sort of hinge within the grip of your fingertips. So this is another factor. What I'm saying is every time you strike the pick, the pick may bend a little and it may also just turn a little. And you can take a pick and hold it very lightly and just kind of flop it back and forth. And you'll see that it appears to turn as a whole. What I'm saying is a little bit of that happens. Now, how much pivoting of the pick goes on varies with how tight you grip the pick. The tighter you grip that pick, the more the pick has to bend and the less the pivoting action will be. The looser you hold the pick, any pick, the less bending of the pick there will be, and the greater amount of pivoting there will be. And all of these things affect the feel of your pick stroke and the sound of the resulting note. So let's just review that. The pick will, will most likely flex somewhat. The string will flex and deflect around the tip of the pick and the pick there's going to be a component of pivoting of the pick if you're one of these people that likes these big thick golden gate picks or a, you know what i call a, a pick like a manhole cover or it feels like a half dollar you know one of those kind of picks there's going to be a lot more pivoting going on which means you got to hold the pick lighter if you've got one of these iron grips and you like to have an iron death grip on a pick, more than likely the pick is doing a lot more flexing. And that is easier with a slightly thinner pick. And again, this depends upon the instrument and the, the gauge of the strings and all these factors go into play. But, but what you're trying to get is a good sound and a very comfortable pick stroke that does not tense up your whole body and and another thing is you want when I, when I talk about sound I mean truly the pick does make sounds it it can make a tapping sound as it hits the string the the pick itself will vibrate and make little clicking sounds if you if you grab a really thick pick and play a little bit and then grab let's say you have an array of picks just go down and buy you a fender thin, fender medium, fender heavy, fender extra heavy, and then some big old thick like a like a Dunlop big stubby. You know, I used, I like those by the way when I'm playing rhythm guitar. And and just try to play the same with each pick, and you're going to find 
the thinner ones flex a lot more, and you tend to hear the a a snapping click of the pick itself, sort of recoiling like like this. I'm just holding the pick real tight and flexing it and letting it go. There's that little clicking sound. That's the flexing of the pick. Or you could have a very thick pick, and I just picked up here. This is a sculpted 1.4 Plectra Prime Tone. Somebody dropped this at a gig, and I picked it up. Um, that pick, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to hold it real tight and kind of flex it and release it. I, first of all, I can't even hardly flex it. This thing is really stiff. But it's going to make a different sound. It's going to be more like a tapping sound. And, and look, at your typical jam session, you're not going to hear any of that stuff. But if you begin to do things like recording or you're playing in very quiet situations, a lot of times the player will detect these sounds, these extraneous sounds, where the audience rarely hears them. But I'm here to tell you that there are tonal differences between picks. And if you're, if you're new to an instrument that uses picks and you have yet to experiment a lot with a lot of different kinds of picks, you may not realize how important a pick is to the sound that you get and to the feeling of your body, you know, how comfortable it, it is and things like that. So let me tell you a little bit about my history with picks. When I started out, I was just like everybody else. I had no clue. I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know one pick from another, and I probably was using something like Fender Mediums. In fact, I think I was. I think I bought a little pack of, you know, those brown celluloid fake tortoiseshell-looking Fender Mediums, standard teardrop. That's what I was using on mandolin and guitar. I'm going to talk briefly about banjo picks in a minute, too. And then I saw, this is probably about 1979, I was at a festival that our band Pony Express was playing and Claire Lynch and the Front Porch String Band was there and their mandolin player was Larry Lynch and he was generous enough to kind of hang out with us and talk and and I asked him what kind of pick he used and he showed me he had a Fender Extra Heavy and he's like here try it out you know and I saw that he was playing using the rounded corner of the pick instead of the point. And I just took note of that. So that's what I started doing. I got me a couple of Fender Extra Heavies and I started using the round corner with the point sort of pointed up towards my arm, you know, towards the palm of my picking hand. So I just thought, he's a great mandolin player. He sounds great. I'll just do what he's doing. And you know what? That's a pretty good methodology for picking, picking out things, you know, when you don't know what else to do. Just find some really great players that you admire what they're doing and say, what are you doing? And then try what they're doing, you know. However, over time, you will discover that you're not that person and you're different. And the strings he uses and the instrument and the, how, you know, how the action is set up and all these things vary. So that's a good place to start. Just do kind of the standard thing that is, you know, maybe the thing your teacher says, you know, Hey, you know, that pick you're using over there here, try this one instead. I've done that a million times at lessons. I've had, you know, kids come in for mandolin lessons and they had these weirdo picks and stuff. I'm like, here, try this. Like, Oh, that's a lot better. Here, keep it kid. You know, the pick makes a difference, but it's not the, you know, it's not the end of the, 
you know, it's not the only thing that makes a difference. There are a whole lot of other things that make a difference too. But consider the pick and consider the physics of the pick and then get to experimenting. There, you know, there are a lot of things that go into affecting the sound of the music you make with your plucked instrument and how comfortable and how adept you are at performing on that instrument. And the pick is one component of that. And so is the instrument. You know, you could spend, and you will, spend a decade seeking out the instrument that best matches you. And you will spend a decade seeking out the kind of strings that best suit you. And the fret sizes and the action setups and the pick. But I encourage everybody to, to um, you know, explore picks because it is the least expensive and quickest thing that you can do and see immediate results. You can buy yourself five different picks, spend, you know, under five bucks and get a whole bunch of picks and sit there and just play a little bit and then switch and play a little bit and switch, and play a little bit and just get a feel for these things. Maybe give one pick a week and then another pick a week and another pick a week. Try them in different situations. Try them in that jam session where you're facing, you know, six guitar players and four banjos pointed at your face and you're trying to hear your guitar break. Try different things. It's really easy. It's, it's really easy to make an A-B comparison with a pick. And it's not expensive. And you'll make some improvement in how you play and how you sound by getting a pick that really jives with you. It, it's a little more complicated with strings. You can test strings, but by the time you take off the one set, which was probably worn out anyway, and then you put on the new set, well, 20, 30 minutes have gone by, or 15 if you're pretty quick, or 10 if you're super fast. And by the time you get the new strings on and they're still stretching out, it, you can't make that A-B comparison. You've forgotten what the other strings sounded like. And a lot of times people put on a, they'll say, I'm going to try these new strings. And they take off their old cruddy, worn-out strings, and they put on the new strings. They go, man, these strings are great. Well, of course they're great. They're brand new. You know, Put on a brand new set of the old strings, play them in a little bit, then take them off real fast, and, and uh, put on the other set, brand new, and try those. And what I'm saying is strings, it takes a while to really, you know, you just got to allow sometimes several years to finally settle on the string that that really matches your instrument and your playing style same goes for an instrument sometimes you pick up an instrument and you instantly know oh this is a lot better sometimes it takes a little longer i mean because you know you just don't have hundreds of instruments to play for a month you know and how they sound in a store you know sometimes is not not their true character you know Okay, so now just briefly, I want to talk about banjo picks. The same principles apply in that banjo picks and dobro, the something's got to give. Something has to pass through, uh, you know, apparently pass through one object through another, but that's not what really happens. You're trying to get string deflection and there's a certain amount of pick deflection. But with with the typical setup with 
with uh, three finger pickers on dobro and on banjo is that the standard thing is to have some kind of plastic thumb pick. So that's going to behave much like a flat pick on mandolin or guitar. There could be and probably will be some flexing of the pick. There also could be some pivoting because the pick is sort of, you know, clamped onto the thumb, but it could still, you know, that flesh of your thumb can sort of rotate around the bone a little bit. So there could be some pivoting too, and probably is. But the, the finger picks are typically metal. So nickel, silver, something like that, sometimes stainless. That pick is probably not going to flex very much. And the stiffer the pick, the stiffer the finger pick, like Dunlops come in gauges. You can buy a little, you know, an 18 or you can get a 25, you know. So you can get picks and control the flexing of the pick. And there again will be a little bit of pivoting. But with the finger picks, most of the, the matter that deflects is going to be the string. So with the finger picks, you know, you're not relying on pick flexibility is what I'm saying. So it becomes more important to stay up on top of the strings. And by that, I mean, don't get too deep in the strings because you're not going to get much flex out of a metal pick. Um, but you will get some pivoting. And there is, again, the curvature of the pick, you know, that affects the, um, you know, the contact time. And there is also tapping. I've got a, a great recording of, of Pony Express doing Sitting on Top of the World that we stuck on an album. And the, the one thing that disappointed me about that recording, and I recorded it in, in my own home studio, was that for whatever reason, that day, the way we re recorded the banjo, I was hearing those picks just tapping away on the strings. You could hear every time a pick hit a string. And I tried to kind of EQ that little thing out, but I can still hear it in there. I might have played Sitting on Top of the World as some outro music once, and old David was picking great, you know, but the way I had positioned the mic, I was picking up that little tap of the pick as it struck the string. You know, in jam sessions and things like that, you, you just don't hear that stuff. But when you've had, you know, 12 years to go back and listen to that track, you go, man, why didn't I hear it that day? Okay, now let me turn about here, and I want to grab a couple of my books. You know, these are these are written by my third favorite author in the world, um, me. And I want to just read you a couple little things I've said about picks. And uh, one day I'll tell you who my second, and who my number one author in the world is, and the number two. I'm not going to waste any time on that. But if you happen to have a mandolin masterclass... I don't really talk much about picks in that book other than to say I was given this list of things you should think about while practicing. And the very first thing was the pick. And this is on page 10 of Mandela Masterclass. If you have the book and you haven't read this page 10 in a while, or if you don't have the book, hey, you're getting this paragraph for free. Here we go. Here's what I say about the pick. Grip the pick fairly lightly. Do not lock the pick in an iron death grip. Play with the very tip of the pick and keep only about a quarter inch of the pick showing between your fingers. In other words, 
you know, if you hold the pick way at the back end, you know, like at the way back and there's an inch of pick sticking out, the pick's going to want to pivot a lot more and it's not going to flex as much. Think about this. I, I've told students this. I, I would hand them a pencil and say, here, write this down. Write down the name Bill Monroe and I hand them an index card and a pencil. And they, because they know how to write with a pencil, they grab the pencil in the standard way and they're, they're gripping the pencil about a half an inch from the tip. They're not gripping the pencil back up there at the top by the eraser. And so I would have them write Bill Monroe. Then I would say, okay, stick your hand out here. Now grab the pencil up there by that little metal uh, collar and up there by the top. Hold it exactly the same way. And now write the same thing. And they write horribly. You know, it's like they can't control the pencil because they're way too far back on the pencil. It would be like, you know, you're a painter and you've got a, let's say, a 12-inch long um, artist's brush, and you're painting, you're putting the details on the eyelashes of, you know, St. Benedict, or whatever it is you're painting. Okay, now take that same brush and hold it way at the back and try to do those little, it's a little harder to control. That's true for picks, too. So if you're a little bit more near up towards the front of the pick, where there's a little less pick showing, you have a little finer control of the pick. Obviously, that does not apply to um, finger picks and thumb picks. Um, okay, let me continue this little reading from my own book. Play with a slight forward tilt to the pick so the edge of the pick contacts and slides over the string rather than dragging the flat side over. The front edge does the picking on the downstroke and the back edge on the upstrokes. It is a very slight tilt. Are you placing the pick too deep in the strings? About an eighth of an inch is plenty. And I would modify that to say a sixteenth could be plenty. A thirty-second of an inch could be plenty. Zero will produce no sound. And I've talked about the what is the ultimate depth in which the pick should be into the string. And remember that the string has a circular uh, cross-section. So if you're playing a string that is 14 thousandths of an inch in diameter, it is a circular shape, 14 thousandths of an inch in diameter. When your pick contacts the string... As long as it's seven thousandths, or maybe eight, as long as it's at the center point of the circular diameter of the string, the pick and the string will behave in the same way. If you go shallower, let's say you've got a 14 thousandths diameter string, and you barely clip the top, and you're only one thousandth of an inch deep into the string, you're not going to deflect the string as far because the string only has to move one thousandth of an inch to get out of the way of that moving pick. But if you go seven thousandths, or let's say eight, then the string has to move eight thousandths of an inch to get out of the way of the string, and that imparts more force on the string. But this is why I say don't get too deep in the string, and think about playing on the tops. Is that, let's say you go... 30 thousandths of an inch deep and you strike that 14 thousandths diameter string 
it's still contacting the string at the seven between seven and eight thousandths. It, that's where it touches. It can't touch the bottom of the string. It can only touch the side of the string. So when you push through, first of all, the string has got to move a lot farther. It's got to go at least 30 thousandths downward to get around that pick. That requires more force, more flexing of the pick, more pivoting of the pick in the fingers. Now, in the real world, that's what happens. We do get under the strings a little bit. I mean, it's very, very difficult to just sort of play just dead center on each string. I mean, if you're playing a string that's ten thousandths of an inch in diameter and you're trying to control playing, I want to hit that string exactly at five thousandths. You know, that's crazy. But don't get way too deep in there. If you're, if you're the tip of your pick, watch yourself as you're playing. If the tip of your pick is a half an inch or three-eighths of an inch or a quarter of an inch, down past the center of the diameter of the string, you're probably wasting a lot of energy. You could probably get the same sound by getting up a little bit more to where you're, you're digging in deeper, less deep, you're digging in shallower, and you're going to get the same result with a lot more, a lot less effort of your picking hand, less grip and so on. So, what I used to tell people is just to visualize that you're playing on the tops of the strings, knowing that it is pretty much physically impossible to actually do that because of the tiny tolerances. But just imagine it, that you're, you're trying to go across the tops of the strings. Now, obviously, if you miss on the high side, you're going to miss the string entirely. So you, you begin to come in tighter, closer to the string, and eventually you're consistently hitting the strings that's where you want to be. You want to be consistently hitting the strings on command, but not being too deep. And once you've sort of got that, then you go through all the string experimentation and the pick experimentations. Okay, uh, let's see. Then the final thing on that page 10 about picks, I said, are you seeing both strings vibrate when you play them? And I'm talking to mandolin players there because you got two of them. I had a lady one time who could she could pick so small and so carefully that she could just back and forth tremolo on just one of the G strings. She wouldn't even hitting the other string and it's only, you know, an eighth of an inch away. That's how finally, how, how tightly she was wound, you might say. And so I'd say, well, we'll take a look at it and, you know, make sure you're, you're going through and treating both of those strings like they're one. So are you allowing the pick to push through both strings? Obviously, guitar players, that doesn't apply to you. Unless you're a 12-string guitar player, of course. And, of course, everybody knows we don't allow 12 strings in bluegrass. Okay, now let me pick up another book from my third favorite author. This is the book Mandolin Training Camp. I'm sure uh, some of you listeners have that. And here on page 25, and the, the start of this book is just a bunch of thoughts on, you know, how to, how to take control of your fingers, improve your solos, Increase speed and accuracy by training the hands and mind. Okay. Masterclass was all about, like, concepts, theoretical ideas, train your brain. And then training camp, which was the follow-up, was like, okay, now that you know all that, let's see if we can make your body do it. And on page 25, let me get picky for a minute is the thing. I'm just going to read it real fast. The subject of pick preferences. 
How people grip the pick, hand position, and so on is an oft-debated subject that has been beaten to death, and I'm beating it to death again today. Everybody has their own style and opinions about such things. And now, at no extra charge, I will give you mine. That thing in your right hand is, of course, a pick, also known as a plectrum. Incidentally, have you ever tried this stupid Google game where you type two words into Google's search engine and see who can come up with the fewest hits? I played my wife in this game for an hour one night and came up with zero pages returned with the combination of words plectrum atlatl. I think I'll make a web page about plectrum atlatls one of these days. But back to picks. If you're reading this book, you, you probably have been playing for at least a while. It may be too late to brainwash you in my pick mentality, but I will try anyway. Continuing here on page 25 of Mandolin Training Camp. The shape I like is a standard teardrop. I like to play with the round corner because I get two picks for the price of one, and I think the tone is better, less clicky sounding. I normally use a Fender Heavy. I have tried every pick there is. I have made my own. I have used tortoise shell. The only thing I can really say is this. If you have tried lots of them and found something that works for you, then use it. I do believe in keeping my picks in good shape, though. They really don't last long. After a couple of hours, they get nicked, rough, and they lose their smooth, rounded bevel. I wrote an article on why old picks sound nasty once, but I will not bore you with it here. When I'm short of decent picks, I do... Polish the old ones. Turning the page, we're now on page 26 of Malin Training Camp. I use a little piece of 600 grit sandpaper to reshape and then rub it with super fine steel wool. Sometimes I even go to the buffing wheel and slick them up even more. With a plastic pick, I'll probably toss it when it gets to sounding funky, but with my stash of better picks, that means the tortoise, I go to great lengths to keep them polished and slick. I hold my teardrop pick with the point towards the wrist and stuck between my forefinger and thumb. I think that choking up on the pick so that only a quarter of an inch of pick extends beyond the fingers gives me the best control. I talked about the pencil. I preach to my students to always be sure they are not gripping the pick with an iron death grip. I preach this to myself, too. Sometimes I listen to myself. So... A little taste of my writing style for those of you who have never purchased any of my books. Um, then the final thing I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you about. I, I've got, by the way, in the mandolin handbook. If you're into that, uh, mandolins that is, I've, I write again about different types of picks and a lot of this same kind of stuff. General comments on picks. That's on page 55 of the mandolin handbook. I talk about celluloid and tortoise shell and. You know, a little bit of rehash on pick stuff. And then on page 56, I included an article that I had written called Poor Man's Tortoise Shell, where I give complete instructions in the story of me making sort of imitation tortoise shell picks out of cow hoof material. So if you want to try your hand at making some picks, pick up the mandolin handbook, go to page 56, 57... And a little bit on 58. And I've even got some photographs of the picks in various stages of production. 
So if you want to scope that out, just go to the Mandolin Handbook. All right. Last thing on picks for today, and we'll probably revisit the whole thing at some point. I, I wanted to mention there's a, there's a sort of apocryphal tale of Bill Monroe, somebody coming up to him and saying, you know, uh, Mr. Monroe, uh, what, what kind of pick do you use? And the, the answer that I've always heard that he said was, he just held it out and said, this one here. And I think I heard that it was like some day glow, like hot pink plastic pick. It's like this one here. So even though I've spent a lot of time here talking about picks, I don't mean to say that picks are the holy grail. They're important. Like a lot of things are important, but they're not the only important thing. And I state that, again, written by my third favorite author in the world, on page 40 of Mandolin Masterclass. I have a drawing of the human brain, just like a, a diagram of the human brain there. And it shows the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. And under it, this is the last words in the book. I wrote the following. It's not the type of pick you use. It's not the brand of strings. This is where it happens. Obviously referring to the brain. I actually have an animated GIF version of that on my website where the brain is sort of pulsing and looking weird. Kind of like the way my brain's probably doing right now. Anyway, that's enough talking about picks today. Think about the physics of picks and think about it as one key component to playing better and sounding better. And just think about how inexpensive and easy it is to experiment with picks. And that's all I got to say about picks today. So y'all have a good week and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Oh, and by the way, because my wife always says you didn't mention the website. Very quickly, if you want any of that stuff, any of those books I talked about, go to bradleylaird.com and stroll around. You'll find them. And again, I appreciate all the support uh, that is sent my way to keep this podcast going. Thanks a bunch. I don't know what music I'm going out with today, but it'll be something I've got stashed. So y'all have a good, good week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.